Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer. Here our podcast by reading a passage from her recently published book, Remembering Friends and Family. Thank you. I'll start with Conversations with God. The first collection re- recollection I have of prayer is when Mother Ernest and I recited this by bedtime. This bed, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Don't be. You know, Ernest, I will just interrupt since we're in a moment, is her brother. She and her brother yes. are children. And we said this bedtime prayer every evening. Ich bin klein, mein Herz ist rein. Darf niemand drin wohnen als Jesus allein. I am small, my heart is pure. Nobody may dwell in here but Jesus. During my childhood, some of the prayers the ministers offered during Sunday services seemed long and complicated, talking about things I didn't really understand. That changed as I got older, and I am now aware of what they are trying to say. In my youth, my prayers were usually gimme prayers. Make that boy like me. Tell mother and dad to buy me the dress I want, etc., This was probably common for young and immature people. Things changed as I grew older, and I realized this is not what prayer is about. Thank you, Dorothy. To me, that crystallizes the book because it it puts your own life into a larger perspective, and you do that throughout the book. It's just marvelous, the ability you have to look at yourself and then step back and see yourself as you are now and still remember vividly yourself as a child. So tell us a little about how you came to write the book. What, where did you begin and what made you decide to put pen to paper? Well, I've always um, liked to write since I was a child. Um, I had a teacher that told me I should be a writer. But what started the book was joining the uh, um, the writing group at the uh, library. And this is the Voorheesville Library. At the Voorheesville Library with Dennis Sullivan as our uh, leader. And we were writing family history. And we would write a story each time, and then we would read it to everyone and critique it and we just had a grand have a grand time we're still doing that and Dennis is here with us but he says he's going to be silent but I just want to let listeners know if you hear a male voice shining in <laughs> that is Dennis Sullivan who also edited this book is yes right? he did and wrote a lovely introduction to it as well um, but I just like to have you kind of Start at the beginning, because the, you, your book starts with some family history. And if you can just tell us a bit about that. And what's interesting was how you had to piece it together, because it wasn't just handed to you. Well, um, I enjoyed listening to my family on Sundays. I grew up on a farm, and uh, mother and Uncle John and Uncle Dick and my dad and they would sit and talk about their childhood and uh, things in Germany, leading a completely different life than we did. And I just enjoyed sitting there listening to them. It was just so great. And uh, um, 
they were such um, brave people, I think, to come over to this country. My mother came over when she was 18 and to a country where she didn't know the language just to have a better life. And uh, I just, I, I think I have such a wonderful family history of, uh, you know, some, uh, they were peasants in Germany, lived through the First World War, were children. The last year of the war had nothing but turnips to eat and just such a completely different life. I was a sheltered child compared to them. Well, you capture that, and from the very first chapter, it's kind of shocking. <clears throat> the story you tell of your father's family history, there's a boy and a girl who you don't even know the names of that died in a fire when they were left alone in their home, and then the father, a child sent out to say it's time for dinner and find some dead under a tree, mm-hmm. supposedly a suicide. What a... What a uh, stark and riveting beginning to your book. Um, Did you make a decision to start with that, um, to kind of get the reader's attention from the beginning? Yes, I think so. We, uh, you know, Dennis and I, uh, we worked, you know, tried to work it that way. Um, Yeah, my dad, he did not talk much about his childhood, so... It was mother and Uncle John and Uncle Dick that did most of the, uh, you know, speaking. But uh, Dad, I think, just wanted to forget his childhood. Understandably. Yeah. Um, And the portraits you paint of family members seem unvarnished. I think a lot of times when people write memoirs, they, they tend to... Uh, almost deify the people in the past. <laughs> you know, they, they make saints of them. And you just have some, like, very realistic details about people. Dennis told me his um, favorite chapter was the one on menopause. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and tell us just a little about your mother and menopause. <laughs> Well, mother's menopause is to say it was a family affair. <laughs> it really was. My mother, uh, she just she had every symptom you know known to womanhood, and uh, and I, as I say, when I went into nursing, I found out that a lot of that had absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with menopause. But yes, she she had the whole the whole family was involved in menopause. Yes, you described the different doctors yes. she saw it and these different symptoms, and you end with kind of a punchline, you know, because she thought she was going to die, and she lived to ninety seven. Yes, yes. <laughs> and you say you escaped any symptoms of menopause yourself, which just it's it, it's a way of writing about your mother um, that. Most memoirs don't do. Not that it's in any way cruel. It's just, it's just no. kind of seems very real. It seems very. Uh... Uh, yes, it was. I one thing I di- I thought later I didn't include in there was every time we went to town, coming from a small place where everybody knows everything, the cashiers at this at the uh, grocery store knew the story because 
We spent about 10 minutes as she explained what her symptoms were. (laughs) The pharmacist knew. Everywhere we went, they knew about mother. (laughs) Um, Also, too, your early childhood was in Astoria, Queens. And you really um, paint such a contrast between life there where your father was a milkman Mm -hmm. delivering with horses and then your move out to the farm in Gilboa. And the book goes back and forth with references to both places. And it gives you kind of a real slice of American life at that time because you have both the big city experience with the public schools there, and then what you describe in at least one passage is the Shangri-La of life in Gilboa. Yes. So just kind of tell us about that transition as you went through it as a child and how you went about um, when you were writing it, um, portraying that. Well, um, every summer when we got old enough, Mother and Ernest and I went to Gilboa and uh, stayed with Uncle Dick. And so uh, the farm, that was home to me. I was said that was home, and in the winter I had to go back to mm. Astoria. I am not a big city person. I, it was just... Um, I mean, I enjoyed myself in in the story. I mean, I wasn't miserable the whole time I was there, but uh, I'm a country person and a small, a group of small people person, you know. So um, it, uh, I don't know, I how what else, how else to explain that? No, but, uh, that's good. Well, also, I'd just like to hear about your writing process. Do you write at a typewriter or a computer? Do you write with a pen in hand? Tell us, like, like how it is you write. I use my computer. I used to write by hand, and but I think so few people do that anymore when they've yeah. got computers. Uh, when I... Um, I used to have to uh, take my husband to work and bring him home, and there was a time when I'd have a tape recorder in the car. As I went over to get him, I would think of things, and I would speak into the tape recorder of things I was thinking about, and uh, uh, I wish I still had my tape recorder to do that. That's a good idea, because then as the thoughts are unwinding and they're fresh, and you can listen to them later for ideas. I myself find that when I write poems, I write them with a pen for some reason. I can't write them at a keyboard. But, of course, I write news stories at a keyboard. And I notice you have quite a bit of poetry in here. The one that really intrigued me was you were a teenager when you wrote it, and you have a little preface saying, I really had a happy childhood I can't imagine why I wrote this because it's a poem about a pool a pool of sadness yes and a kind of sense of desperation about the world and just tell us a little about yourself as a poet because I see you've done that your whole life yes I I like to write poetry simple but why what how how does it does it crystallize uh, your thoughts in a certain certain way? Sometimes or? just thinking in rhyme, because uh-huh. <laughs> most of my poetry are poems that rhyme. And I was said, I, I sometimes I think in rhyme, 
You know, it just, I don't know. It's just, Do you know uh, where that came from? Did, was there anyone else in your family that either recited poetry or wrote poetry? or? My uncle Otto, my father's brother, he wrote poetry. And apparently my grandmother wrote poetry. My great-grandmother wrote poetry. And uh, so, yes, poetry kind of... Um, I have a son who writes poetry. Um, I guess it's something genetic. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't. I mean, it's interesting to see where poets come from. Another one that I really, really liked a lot was I think you must have written it for your daughter. I'm going to look it up here when she was 15. Um, <clears throat> and I started out reading and thinking, oh dear, this, this, this could make. Uh, a daughter feel very bad. <laughs> but then the way it ends is marvelous. You say young ladies can have their pill because it was oh. apparently uh, it was apparently a pregnancy that wasn't expected. Yes. So if, with your permission, can I just read it? Yes. Pregnant again. Oh, say it's not so. With the youngest past five, that's sure a low blow. But pregnant I was, no doubt about that. The doctor confirmed it with a smile and a pat. Crawling out of bed in the middle of the night to feed a crying baby met with a little delight. And changing those diapers so smelly and wet was not my idea of much fun, you can bet. I had my three boys, and it was boys that I wanted. They kept my days busy with their energy undaunted. Nine months went by, how slowly they passed. And then four days more. I was in the hospital at last. Soon she arrived, a Saturday it was, with a cry that was lusty and a head of dark fuzz. I cried when I saw her. I loved her so much. A dear little daughter, my heart she did touch. The years have gone by, all 15 of them, and she's been a blessing a joy and a gem. She sure keeps me happy with school, sports, and such. She's the light of my life. I love her so much. And so, dear young ladies, you can have your pill. I've got my Wendy those bright days to fill. God in his wisdom knows what we need. And if we are wise, his counsel will heed. My Wendy, I love you with all of my heart. I'm so glad you happened. The Lord sure is smart. <laughs> I wrote that every year we have mother and daughter dinner at the church, mm-hmm. and they asked me to get up and speak, and I wrote that for that, and she was there, and and um, that's the first time she heard the poem was when I read it. And what was her reaction? She was amazed, and she was very happy, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. as it starts out, I'm thinking, oh, an unwanted child. <laughs> and then the way it ends, yeah. it's like, hurrah! Well, and the interesting thing is that uh, a few months later, she wrote a poem to me, which is not in the book since I didn't write it, but she wrote a poem back to me, which oh, was Oh, how lovely. Yes. Oh, how lovely. Well, um... One of the, it seems like religion is an important part of your life. And one of the things that also intrigued me, you talked about um, some of the prejudice during, you wrote about some of the prejudice during World War II. Mm-hmm. And um, it, earlier than that, you had felt some prejudice because 
you had Roman Catholic friends who assured you you would be going to hell because you were a Lutheran, but you seemed to just take these things with equanimity. And then during the time leading up to World War II, I guess you overheard maybe your mother talking with a neighbor about how you might have to go back to Germany, and you decided you would not go back. (laughs) And then later on the school bus, I think maybe a boy made a comment about your being a Nazi. Just kind of tell us about that period um, and what it was like for you and, and how you came through it so unscathed and from other accounts in your book, just so proud of being an American. Well, um, yes, I remember with Mother talking about going to uh, Germany. They were sitting, she and a friend, a next-door neighbor, were sitting on the steps, and she was saying that. And it really did, it scared me. I thought, I'm not going back. And, you know, if I thought about it, my dad was a citizen, you know, and... uh, uh, my mother didn't become a citizen until after the f- war. She got her first papers, but then during the war, they weren't... Uh, processing them. Yeah, weren't yeah. processing. But in uh, uh, Ball, I didn't... It, the prejudice that was there was just that little bit that uh, I told you about. Apparently, there were some things said about the family because this boy... Otherwise, why would he have called me a Nazi? He must have heard it at home. You know, he, would, he wouldn't know, and, and his sister's stopping. But uh, I didn't feel it in school or anything like that. Uh, and you also had a relative who was a POW. Yes. So tell us a little about that. You sent him packages and... Uh, it was very happy news to know that he was... That he was alive, and and it was through the news, uh, German newspaper in New York City that uh, people that knew my uh, folks uh, read it. He had put, apparently was allowed to put the ad in the paper looking for his relatives, and they uh, sent it up. So that's how we knew. Well, he's safe. Yeah, we don't have to worry about him. And uh, as I say, we mother and Uncle John wanted to go down to see him, but. It was just too far. Um, it, it was too far. Uh, travel was not the easiest thing during the war. And it, they'd only be able to see him for about an hour. But they could send him packages and that type of thing. And then, of course, my um, other uncle was killed. And your grandfather as well, right? No, not my grandfather. Oh, it was your uncle. My, my mother's oldest brother, Peter, okay. was killed in the First World War. And then the youngest one was killed in the Second World War in Germany. So, Well, turning to a happier segue <laughs> with World War II, it, you say you first kind of got to know your husband by like hearing the letters being deciphered that he was sending back from the war? Yes. So <laughs> yes. Tell, us about, tell us about falling in love with your husband. <laughs> well... His his sister Betty was in my class, and Ellen was the year after me, and we were very good friends. And uh, you know, on on uh, when you live on a farm, the girls were going overnight to a friend's house. The boys couldn't do that because they had to work in the barn. Mm-hmm. But um, I went over, you know, used to go over there, and I I didn't know Lewis and. Uh, uh, at any rate, they were reading the letters, but uh, 
then when he came home, he saw me, and <laughs> I guess he liked me. <laughs> and he well, you were a beautiful young woman. You're now a beautiful elderly woman, so it was a, <laughs> sort of an attraction at first sight, was it? Or um, Yeah, sort yeah. of, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's neat. Yeah. That's neat. Well, so then your book also details, um, you know, how excited your mother was to have grandchildren and how much she wanted them and how much, in a way, she kind of possessed them. She had your sons coming out to the farm oh, every yes. summer and insisting upon it, and you didn't, you wanted to keep family peace. And uh, well, yes, them. the way to keep family peace with mother was. Yeah. <laughs> Mother could get hysterical. Uh, but, yes, the, the last day of school, uh, she'd be there, and she'd be packing the, their suitcases to take them. And I know there was one we were going to go to the Catskill Game Farm, and uh, we thought, we'll we'll do that, and then we'll take the boys up. Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> she was there, so that ended that. But, uh, yeah, my mother... My husband always said my mother should have had a dozen children because she was in her glory with children. And she had two, and you had four. Yes. So together she sort of had six, half a dozen. <laughs> yes. But um, a little bit about your career as a nurse. What made you decide to do that, to become a nurse? Um, well, way early I, I wanted to become a veterinarian. And uh, my uh, family really uh, ridiculed me for that because they, they're, they're veterinarians came for the cows and the horses. And mm-hmm. who's going to call a woman veterinarian on a farm, you know, and that sort I of thing. I guess in that era, that was true. Yeah, so I gave that but now... There are more female veterinarians in vet school, I know, because my daughter was one, than there are men. So yes. <laughs> go figure. But so then what nursing was the next? Uh, yes. I I don't know. I always wanted to do something where I helped people, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, those were the two things. I never thought of doing anything else. That's what I wanted to do. So. And you went to Memorial? At the old Memorial yeah. Hospital down on North Pearl Street, yes. Completely different. And it was sad to hear uh, I got a letter that uh, the School of Nursing at Memorial is now closed. Those oh. students will be going to Maria Oh, I didn't know College, that. So, uh, yeah, sort so of the, the end, end of an era. The end of an era. But yeah. tell us a little about your era there. What was it like to be in nursing school? Well, we lived, you know, as I say, we were on um, Broadway was where the front door was, and it was an old, old building, and we had bats <laughs> that came down through the chimney, the uh, fireplaces, <laughs> and. Uh, it uh, it was so different than uh, I know the new memorial, the um, the rooms you know when the students were staying there, these beautiful rooms <laughs> and when we went to visit you know as the old alumni, it was like wow you know what is this because we couldn't use we couldn't use the door to go out. After uh, I think it was seven o'clock at night, because it wasn't safe to. 
And your mother came to visit you there. You said it was the only mother who came to visit and stayed overnight. And and stayed overnight and had a ball. Yes, (laughs) yes. Well, I think through me she was experiencing things that she didn't growing Mm -hmm. up because they had to work. You know, life was so different. So I think she was going through her teenage years through me. Yeah, well, the way you describe her from her birth is such a determined person. She was a premature birth at three pounds and sat on the edge of an oven as an incubator in order to fight for life. They thought she was going to die, and they just gave her the minister's wife's name. Yes. And I love that you said they didn't even give her a middle name, so she gave her children two middle names to make up for it. That's right. What is your whole, what is your whole entire name? Dorothy Ann Marie. Okay, that's uh, nice. Yeah. It's nice. But, uh, yes, uh, and Mother hated her name. And, you know, for a couple of years recently, that has been the most favored name Emma? in the country. Emma? Yeah. And I thought it's too bad that uh, she doesn't know that. And, uh, well, if, if she's up in heaven, she's looking down and she's uh, hearing that. But uh, Uncle John and Uncle Dick used to tease her about her name. They'd say, well, they went to the movies, and they, it was a Western, and the horse's name was Emma. And, you know, they, they, they could get away with things that the rest of us couldn't talk to Oh, my goodness. Well, our time has gone so fast. I, what I'd like to maybe close with thoughts on what, what does it do now that you have a book, a beautifully put-together book you can hold in your hand, um, is that a picture of the house you grew up in? That, and my granddaughter, Jackie, drew that picture. She's an artist. Oh, well, it's a beautiful that, picture. Yeah. I'm trying to think how to describe. You can tell instantly it's a farmhouse. Yes. And it looks like maybe mid to late 1800s. And yes. it has a beautiful big tree in front, a shade tree. And it's painted white with green trim and a red roof. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I'm sure you have a ready audience in family members, um, but what just what does it what does it mean to have a book in the hand? Well, it, it feels very good. As <laughs> uh, say, Dennis is the one who uh, you know said I should make my stories into a book. I think all of our group we could we could do that. I think they all should, but. It makes me want to write some more and maybe <laughs> do another book. Eventually. Oh, good. Oh, isn't that great? That. And you're going to be reading from this book at the Voorheesville Library. Yes. And can you just tell our listeners when that is? That is on uh, September 15th, which is a week from this coming Sunday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And it's at the Voorheesville Public Library, and for people that don't know where that is, it's on School Road, and I don't know the number, but I'm sure they can find it. Oh, yes. But do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to just leave our listeners with? Well, I don't know. I I just enjoy doing it, and... uh... Our our writing group, we couldn't ask for a nicer group of people, and we have a wonderful leader. <laughs> How many people are in the group? Are there about nine of us now? But are are you mostly elderly, looking back at life, or do you um, have? I'm the oldest one, I guess. How, how old are you? I'm 89. Oh, my goodness. You're a young 89. <laughs> I'm a young. <laughs> <laughs> but so. Um, 
yeah, it just sounds like a wonderful group. And what a great thing to do to have a chance to read each other's work. And yes, um, we've we've come to know each other very well. And as I've told everyone, uh, we probably know more about each other than the families. (laughs) (laughs) Writing does that, doesn't it? Because you reach deep in yourself for things that you don't necessarily talk to your family about in everyday ways. That's right. But I bet your family is all reading this. Uh, I haven't given them the book yet. Why? I'm waiting to give them the book. I'm hoping they'll come to the library. Oh, good. <laughs> I have given a couple of of family that aren't that don't live around here. I've sent them the book. <laughs> well, I know they're going to treasure it for generations to come because what happens especially I think in this country is you know your parents and you know your grandparents and you might have heard a few stories about your great-grandparents, but it's very hard <clears throat> to get any substantive information about who people were that shaped the generations before that. And for generations to come, they'll be able to know intimate details of your life. It amazes me the number of people that I've met who really don't know anything about their ancestry. Apparently was never talked about. And that amazes me because Sunday afternoons were spent talking. (laughs) Well, that's a great tradition. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.